Well, good morning. And indeed, happy Mother's Day. You know, we can say that to every woman that is a believer, can we not? Truthfully, happy Mother's Day. And there are a number of mothers, or actually women, many of them are mothers, that uh, are godly women that are worth studying in the Word of God. But as far as a portrait of motherhood, there is perhaps no greater than Hannah, the mother of one man, Samuel. And we're going to look at her life and her response before the birth of Samuel and then her response uh, when Samuel was born and thereafter. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful study to see this woman, this godly woman, and the response that she makes towards God regarding her child, her son. Turn with me, if you would, to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now before we take a look at, at uh, Samuel, this, this is a narrative we're going to go through, oh, um, one and a half chapters or so. So we're only going to t uh, hit the high peaks and get the, the story or get the uh, intent of the story and uh, the, uh, the important elements of it. But before we start, I think it's important to take a look at the background. The nation of Israel, its condition, the condition of Israel is such that basically the judicial system has fallen apart. You might remember that God had raised the judges in answer to the despair of the nation. The nation would find an enemy, the Gentiles would come in and they, they would be under condemnation from God, under discipline from God. And then they would cry out to God, as we find in Psalm 107, right? They would cry out to God and God would bring in a, a judge, someone to redeem them from their condition. And as soon as that was done, they of course forgot, and there they went again. And then when they were under the difficulties again and under the, the yoke of the Gentiles once more, they would cry unto the Lord, and the Lord would bring a judge to redeem them once more. But the book of Judges closes finally with this statement, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The system had broken down completely. And everyone was doing that which seems right in their own eyes. In the area of the sacrifices and offerings, the priesthood was completely contaminated Eli, a pious old man, blind, had two sons 
We read about them, and we all read about them, Hapni and Pehenos. And what did they do? It says in verse, let me just go there, we've not read this yet, but uh, in verse 3, Hapni and Pehenos, the priests of the Lord, were there. The priests of the Lord. But when we go down in chapter 2, in verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. In the one, they're called priests of the Lord, and yet in the other, their condition is that they didn't know the Lord. And here they defiled the very office of priesthood. They went into a vile sexual um, sin. They also went into uh, abomination regarding the sacrifices. They were to take a portion of, of that uh, peace offering of uh, the, the individual that was offering that offering. They were to take a portion of that, but in such a manner that they changed that particular manner. They, rather than taking that which was boiled, they took out raw meat. They wanted the raw to take to themselves. That wasn't as big a sin as the sin that they took the parts of this offering before the offering was made to the Lord. Because you might remember that out of each of the offerings, be they the expiatory offerings, or be they the sweet offerings, out of each blood offering, the, the blood was the Lord's, and the fat, the inward fat, the fat around the kidney, particularly, was to be burned on the altar of burnt offerings. And so whether it was a sin offering or a trespass offering that was burned outside the camp, or whether it was a peace offering or a burnt offering burnt inside the camp, it didn't matter. The very first element that was to be offered would be the offering of the, of the fat. And that was to be burnt on the altar of burnt offerings. No matter the offering. And it was to be burnt first. But they went in then they said, no, we want our portion. Their portion was to be boiled and they were to take it out with a hook and the amount that they took out was for them. But they went to the offerer. And so they said, no, we want the raw meat because we want to roast it. And they went and did that before the offering went up to the Lord. An abomination in the sight of the Lord. And of course, they turned many in Israel from the offering. It was a stumbling block to those in Israel, to the people of Israel. And so here's the condition, both in the political realm, social realm, and in the religious realm, everything was a decay. Everything was broken down. And now we see this little family of which Hannah is a part. And we read something of them as they come into this this, these despicable conditions. Let's read about Hannah now. 
Beginning with verse 1, very quickly now, there was a certain man of uh, Ramathaim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, and the son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zub, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives, the name of one was Anna, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Anna had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Pehenas, a priest of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came uh, for Elkanah to, make, uh, Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion or worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And so here's the condition in this family. This is a pious family, but uh, Elkanah has two wives. Now God, does, God permits it, but he doesn't place a stamp of approval uh, on polygamy. But he permitted it. And here we see that this man and his two wives on a yearly basis would make a journey to, uh, to uh, um, give their offerings. A pious family in the midst of all that was going on in, in Israel. But Hannah had an issue. She had no children. And so it continues on in verse 6 now. And her adversary or her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. So the situation for Hannah is that she's without child. And on this yearly journey apparently there was uh, this provocation probably in the house as well, but particularly so as they were journeying to uh, Shiloh. And so here it is, the provocation of this woman, and it brought her to tears. Here's uh, her sorrow. She was provoked. Look at verse 6. She was miserable. Uh, verse 7. Um, she wept. And further on down in verse 8, she grieved because of her condition, no child. And so she goes before the Lord now. We read in verse, let's just go through that in verse 9. She goes before the Lord while they're there at uh, the tabernacle, while they're do, giving their offerings. She goes there, and let's read that, verse 9 now. So Hannah rose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, and Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorposts of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitter soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the afflictions of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. 
And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, the watcher, uh, the, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart only. Her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrow, sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said to her, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Her supplication here, her prayer. There are two prayers that we'll look at. This is the first prayer, and it's a prayer, that, a prayer of supplication. If you look at prayer, for instance, we might note that prayer could be broken down into three parts. There's the prayer of intercession, the supplication, a prayer for the needs it's the soul's occupation with its needs. Later on we'll read where Hannah now gives forth a prayer of praise and then a prayer of worship as well. And so praise, if uh, supplication and intercession is the dealing of, with our needs, then the uh, area of praise or thanksgiving has to do with our blessings. And so we praise God for our blessings. We heard of that this morning. Along with worship, there was praise. Lord, thank you for saving my soul. Supplication. Lord, save me. Praise, thanksgiving. Lord, thank you that you've saved me. Worship. Lord, Thank you that you're the Savior. Praise and thanks. The occupation of the soul with, the, with uh, its blessings. But worship is the occupation of the soul with God himself. With a person of God. I'm working with a little Baptist church up uh, in Oregon, uh, you know, they do things a little differently. Fundamental, right down the line scripturally, except for a few areas. They, of course, still see the issue of worship as uh, someone that uh, leads the singing. That's worship. At best, and this is a worship leader. There's only one worship leader. That's the Spirit of God. And so <clears throat> there may be in that music the drawing out of praise, but the worship leader is the Spirit of God himself. And so here we have Hannah, and she brings forth this supplication, and it's the cause of it is that the bitterness of soul. Look at verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed to the Lord 
and wept in anguish, bitterness of soul. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. It is when we come down to that point where we cannot go any further. We're down as far as we can go. You know, most of us at that moment might come to the Lord. Has it come to this now that I have to get on my knees and pray? It ought to be well before that. But when we come to the end of ourselves, there is God. And we have some wonderful things here. The object of Hannah's prayer. Look at this in verse uh, 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. This is the first time in the word of God that this is used. Je Jehovah Sabaoth. It's really the Lord in the manifestation of power. First time it's used. Where did she get this? You know, we have the Word of God. We can go to the Word of God. Here, these saints uh, of the Old Testament, um, they may have had a, a little bit of Moses. Probably not. Where do they get this? Well, of course, it's the Spirit of God but not the Spirit of God that we know Him. Each one of us as a believer has the Spirit of God in Him. We've been endowed with the very presence of the Holy Spirit to draw within us the truths relevant to the Lord. But here, this woman, of course, wasn't blessed with that. And yet... The Spirit of God did open up to her these very truths. That he was the God of the impossible. And so when I'm down and out, there is one who is the God of impossible. And so she comes. The cause is bitterness. She's down in this uh, supplication of her in this prayer. But then she comes to the God that is the God of the impossible, the one who manifests his power. The reality of the prayer I, I must admit that have been times where I've wasted a whole day in activity and such, and from guilt I felt that I needed to kneel down before the Lord. And at one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning at the close of my day, I may get down before the Lord and say something, bring something out before Him that when I wake up from my sleep, because the tendency is to fall asleep on your knees, I don't even remember what I said. That wasn't true with Hannah. Look at Hannah. The reality of her prayer. In verse 10, it was from the heart. From the heart. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish from the heart. It was definite. She made a vow, verse 11, and that she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. She was definite. 
She poured out her soul in earnestness. She was persevering, it says. She continued in the prayer. We read that. And then she walked away believing. Look at verse 18. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. This is after Eli said in verse 17, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. She walked away believing. How many of us, after the end of our time of prayer with the Lord, walk away believing? Again, I must confess that there are times that the Lord answers the prayer that I've prayed, and I'm shocked. Does that happen with you? Believing prayer. And so here's a woman that had a purpose for her prayer. Her heart was set. It was a definite prayer, a purposeful prayer. And she believed that the prayer would be fulfilled and completed. And it was. Let's look at verse 19 of, uh, of uh, chapter 1 of Samuel. Then they arose early in the morning, uh, this is uh, Elkanah and his family, and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Anna, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived before, uh, and bore a son and called his name Samuel, heard of God. Samuel, heard of God, saying, Because I have asked of him, because I have asked for him from the Lord. And the Lord heard her. It's interesting to read the commentators regarding the reason for Hannah wanting a boy, first of all, and then giving him up as soon as she weaned him. That's about three years of age. What was the purpose behind that? What was really the reasoning in Hannah's mind to ask for a child and then return him to the Lord? She wasn't asking because she was under persecution from the other wife, the other woman. She asked for that child, I believe, absolutely based on the second chapter, their second prayer. She asked for that child because of the condition of the nation. He said, I'm a maidservant of the Lord. Take me, nothing and put to nothing that which is. She presented herself 
And that's God uses nothings, nobodies. If they're willing to place themselves in the hands of the Lord, He isn't looking for political giants, or giants of, of science or medicine. He's looking for normal, broken people that'll come and give themselves to Him. And so He took Hannah and said, Yes, I'll accept that vow, and I'll give you. A boy. Why is she? Is it she had something against girls? No. Was it because that was something that was ingrained in the culture to have the first child born to be a son? No. She had the purpose in her heart. And if the Lord would give her that child, she would give that child back unto the Lord. She says here, look verse 24. Now when she had weaned, she took him up with her, and three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh, my Lord, as your soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, um, praying to the Lord for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. She gave that child back to the Lord so that the Lord might use him to bring about a change in the nation of Israel. And Samuel was used that way. I have a couple that I uh, was dealing with here uh, a year, year and a half ago or so, um, married not too long, uh, told me that they will not bring a child into this world. I asked them, why not? He says, well, look at the condition of the world. Well, Hannah prayed to bring a child into the world. That was the same condition that we find ourselves in now. Why? Given to the Lord, the Lord can use that child for his purposes, for his glory, as he did with Samuel. There are some young couples here with children already. Have you brought that child into the presence of the Lord? Have you prayed for that? Do you make a point of praying for that child on a regular basis? Have you given him back to the Lord? Moses' mother, Jehobed, gave up Moses didn't give him away, but she gave him up to save his life. Hannah gave up, not gave away, but gave up Samuel for the glory of God and for the good of the nation and for our good. I might from a 
personal witness, give you a little story of myself. My mother was Polish, taken out of Poland <coughs> during the Second World War, and brought into forced labor in Germany. My father was a POW in the German camp. He fought with the British under the Polish, uh, with the Polish brigade under the British flag. They were married after the Second World War. Of course, I was born shortly thereafter. We were living in a DP camp, displaced persons camp, refugee camp. Uh, my mother had, and father had applied for uh, immigration to the United States because they were in the American zone. And years went by and nothing happened and we just, we were in that refugee camp, that DP camp. They couldn't go back to Poland because now Poland was under Russian rule, under communist rule. And so the camp was full of people that were displaced, obviously. At 10 years of age, um, there was a Catholic group that came uh, to the camp and, and uh, was taking out children for education in England. And so at 10 years of age, my mother, my father had already passed uh, away at that time. He died. My mother let me go, sent me off at 10 years of age to England, not to save a life not for the good of the nation, but just for my own good, so that I might get an education. <clears throat> or at least she thought that that's all it was for. I stayed in England for some seven years, seven and a half years, and then came back to the United States. My mother was able to emigrate to the United States. I spent just three and a half months or so with her, and since then, that's just for perhaps a little visit here or there. That was all the time that I've spent with her from 10 years of age. Now, she felt that she gave me up so that I might get an education, might get a standing in the world, something of this nature. But God used it for something greater. Because out of all of my siblings, I'm the only one that knows the Lord. They're all back in Massachusetts where she immigrated to. Not a one of them is saved. But the Lord took me aside and through that process has kept me to a point where he brought me unto himself. My experience is very practical and very basic. No great spiritual value other than the fact that those, that the Lord used those or gave opportunity through that action of my mother for me to be saved. She wasn't aware of it. Never thought about that. Portrait of giving up a child for the Lord and bringing up a child for the Lord. There's nothing more important, I believe, today, particularly under the circumstances, to bring up a child for the Lord. 
But I said this is Mother's Day, and every woman that claims the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is her day as well. For you see, there are many that have never been married, have never had children physically, have been, had the privilege of raising up children spiritually. A sister that works in just a Sunday school in presenting the gospel, in checking on the birthdays and sending out little cards, on calling and sending little packages with little verses on them, caring for the souls of these young people. The women, and we men are put to shame by this, the women that are out on the mission field, that are working out in the various continents of this world, giving forth and bearing the results of the gospel that they present to those that they're with, children and women. What a great privilege. Dave Harvey, a missionary, <coughs> pardon me, a missionary to the Philippines. I think he's from Australia tells the story of two Filipina women, sisters in the Lord, that when in fellowship in the assembly in Manila, where he fellowships, they took a job in Saudi Arabia, and they were hired by one of the princes of the house of Saud. They were hired as nannies to take care of the children. They brought little verses that they taught the children, little Bible uh, verses, gospel verses, Bible songs, and so on. Now, I don't know whether you know the legal system in Saudi Arabia, but it's uh, not only a prison term, but potentially a beheading if you're caught with the Bible, particularly if you're caught with the Bible attempting to present the gospel to someone. They were caught by the prince. And thankfully, he tried to keep it undercover and sent them back to the Philippines. The children went on strike. They wouldn't eat. So the prince called them back and said, Will you come? If you come, don't bring your Bible. They said, Well, what's the point? If we come, we bring the Bible. He thought about it a little bit and said, Come. And so you have here couple of Filipino women, nobodies, in the house of the king, teaching children, bringing them on for the Lord. <coughs> Mothers in the house of the king. The testimony 
of motherhood. And so this dear mother, Hannah, presents this little boy back to, to <coughs> the Lord. And it says here, in verse 11 of chapter 2, it says this, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to who? To Eli? No. Ministered to the Lord before Eli, the priest. Here's a little boy ministering to the Lord. The privilege that we had this morning and at the Lord's table, at the Lord's supper, is to minister to the Lord. Minister his precious son to him. Sinners saved by grace. Having the great privilege of ministering to the Father. Here's a little boy ministering not to Eli, but before Eli to the Lord. What a wonderful thing. And so here it is, in answer to the prayer, she gave up this little boy. Not gave away, but gave up this little boy. She visited him. If you read through the narrative a little further, you'll see that she visited him uh, at least annually, and she would bring a little ephod and a little and clothing and so on and so forth, caring for him all along. But she gave him because he belonged to the Lord. And the same thing with us, dear saints. Here it says that Samuel was given on loan to the Lord. We read in the New Testament that the children are given to us on loan for us to take care of for him. May it be so with us, be it in the physical or the spiritual. Now look at chapter 2 very quickly. Hannah's prayer in chapter 2. The second prayer, far different. The prayer of thanksgiving and worship. In verse 1 she says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And so here she is, it's praise for the salvation of God. In chapter 2, it's, uh, it's uh, worship for his, ho in verse 2, it's, it's uh, worship for his holiness. Uh, no one uh, is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. That word rock is always used of God, be he the God that we know or another God. Whatever you're going to use as a foundation that to build your life on, that's your rock. And he says, there's no other rock like our God. He is holy, separate. I wish we had time to look at this. We don't. And then verse 3, there's the testimony of his faithfulness. Uh, talk no more uh, so very proud, uh, proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. He's the standard. He knows all things. He's omniscient. And by him all things are weighed. He's the standard. We'll stand at the great white throne of judgment. Um, 
at the judgment seat of Christ. I hope we're not at the great white throne of judgment. I hope there's no one here at the great white throne. But we, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema. And the measure of all that we've done, all of our works, will be based on this ruler right here, the standard. And the standard for us is always God. By him will all things be weighed. He's the standard. You can make up your own religion if you want. You know, add a teaspoon of this and a pinch of that, whatever else, so many do. I'm comfortable with my religion. How many times have you heard that? Well, you can make up all your religion, but the standard is always God. And so he says here that he's the standard. And he ends in the realm of prophecy. So here we have praise and worship and testimony for his salvation, for his holiness, for his faithfulness. And then he looks up into the future, and we won't be able to look at the remainder of this chapter, but take a look at verse 10 um, of chapter 2. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven. He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That word anointed means Messiah. She starts off with uh, Jehovah Sabaoth and ends with a Messiah. First time for Messiah as well. And she brings it out in her second. She starts the first um, prayer with Jehovah Sabaoth and ends the second prayer with Messiah. An outstanding woman, a mother, as a mother ought to be. Shall we pray? Our Father and our beloved God, how we thank thee again for the, this portrait, this picture of a woman of God, a woman that had the travail of her soul fulfilled. She, having the desire of her heart met, and that desire being to have a little boy, being used so that she might bear forth one who would be used more greatly by thee and for thee. How we thank thee for her. And... How we praise thee, Father, that she brought a son such as Samuel. And thank thee again, Father, for the, your grace and kindness, for the great position and privilege of motherhood. Oh, to see a godly mother. How we just praise thee, Father, for them. And give thee thanks now, Father, for this time together in thy word. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.